February the 6th would have been the 75th anniversary of the man they call Bob Marley. What was his impact on Black Britain and which of his songs made the most impact on us once upon a time when we were coloured? As the great reggae MC Louis Lepke toasted on the news that we had lost one of the greatest. While this is a tribute to the late great Bob Marley, he left us on the 11th of May 1981. So I'm going to tell it to each and every one to make them understand. I woke up Monday morning on the 11th of May. I heard a news flash. It was around midday and this was what the announcer said, that the great Bob Marley had passed away. A whole heap of music started to play. Then they replayed some past interviews because Bob Marley is the king of reggae. I heard that he died in Miami and at his bedside was his family, his children and his wife, Rita Marley. The whole world is in sympathy because we love Bob Marley. Or as the great Maccabee toasted on the posthumous anniversary of Bob Marley's birthday. Everybody loves Bob Marley. Everywhere you go, it's the same old story. People of all nations love the Rastaman vibration. Robert Nestor Marley, happy anniversary. On February the 6th this year, you would have been 75, but it feels like you're still alive. You spread reggae music internationally over many oceans and across many seas. Travelling around the world, one thing that I see is that everybody knows about Bob Marley. And if they ever find a man on the moon, I'm sure he will know some Bob Marley tunes. Hey, Bob Marley, said Cameo, play us some reggae music because we need it. Find the music for the young and the old. Let them understand what you have to say. But now everybody listens since you've gone away. Let's contemplate Bob Marley's reggae music. I play all day because it's the kind of music that can brighten up your day. Or as the late great Prince Farai would say, this is a tribute to the man called Bob Marley. Tribute to the musical hero, tribute to the king of reggae, hard road to travel, and a mighty long way to go. So, let's discuss his impact on Black Britain. Bob Marley, on the 75th anniversary of his birth. I turned, of course, to the Queen of Lovers Rock, Carol Thompson. Lovers Rock, after all, is reggae. What's your earliest memory of Bob Marley? Singing, don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. Singing, don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. 
got up, woke up this morning. Rise with the morning sun. Three little birds pitch by my doorstep, singing sweet songs of melody pure and true, saying, This is my message to you. Singing, don't worry, about a thing. Cause every little thing is gonna be alright. Singing, don't worry, about a thing. Cause every little thing is gonna be alright. Yeah, the sounds of the great Bob Marley as sung by the Queen of Lovers Rock, Carol Thompson. I was surprised that you sang it in that sort of almost dispassionate way that Bob Marley seems to do on the record, even though it's a very intimate song. And here we are sitting together in an intimate space. And I assumed that you were talking to me in the way that many bridegrooms do at their weddings, talk to their brides by singing Don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. Mm -hmm. That's what makes Bob Marley universal, isn't it? Because everybody, wherever you go, just absorbs the messages of Bob Marley in the way that we absorb the messages of Shakespeare, irrespective of language, creed or otherwise. So you threw it away. How do you mean threw it away? Well, I'm just thinking you had the opportunity to sing Dawson. Don't worry. <laughs> but the funny thing is though, even though I didn't even though I didn't actually say your name, you still felt you still thing. you still felt Away. Yeah, you still felt the message. You still felt the message of Bob's lyrics. Away. Yeah, you still felt the message of Bob's lyrics. You You can't help that, though. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. But it would be nice to hear sort of different interpretations. That's the great thing about somebody like me who can't sing, that even I can sing, Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing's gonna be all right and that i'm singing it like a football chance you can imagine that can't you i can imagine bob bob marley's songs can be translated in so many different ways for so many different reasons and seasons yeah because i imagine at a football ground somewhere like charlton athletic who've had a bad run of form lately and the uh, the fans are singing don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. I can imagine them singing that. Yeah, I think, as I said, it's uh, reasons and seasons. Do you know what I mean? You can use Bob's lyrics for so many different things. It's it's a marvel. It really is. Yeah. When when did you first come across Bob Marley? I think the very the very first Bob Marley song that um that I, when I realised it was Bob Marley it was probably Small Axe. I'd obviously heard his songs before when he was part of the Wailers and, you know, other songs, you know, the old sort of um, early 60s songs that, that he sang. But what the song that really got me was Small Axe. Why boasteth thyself, O evil man? Mm. 
did you know what that was about? Well, I at the time I you know I didn't quite understand, but I know that it was a there was something in the lyric that resonated because I used to hear my grandfather say, you know, um, if you are a big tree, I'm a small axe. And certain old time sayings, um, I, I, I'd heard those. So it sort of piqued my interest when I heard it in a song. When was that? How old were you? I think I was in my early teens at the time. Uh, yeah. well, it took you that long to discover Bob Marley? Yeah, yeah. No, really, it's the point where I wanted to buy his, buy his music. But by then, you know, everybody knew Bob Marley. By the time you are in your early teens, I mean... That's students f- at Leeds University, where the Whalers went and performed, they mm. already knew Bob Marley, pack mm. out the place. Mm. Then when he played uh, somewhere in Edmonton, I seem to remember, he played somewhere in Edmonton with Peter Tosh and Bunny Whaler right, as right. the Whalers and yeah. Carlton and Family Man on mm. drums and bass. Mm. See, you, you, you caught on to Bob Marley quite late. Yeah, I was, I was a, a, a late a late comer. <laughs> because I was a pickney at the time. Yeah, I mean, and when I said I, I was aware of his music, but I didn't, I hadn't sort of tagged the music to a name. But when I actually recognised that this person sang sang this song, that was that was the age. Didn't it put you off though that here was this bloke? You're a teenager listening to what the Osmonds at the time. Listen to lots of things. Anything David from, Cassidy. From Cassidy to Michael Jackson. Oh, Michael Jackson as well. Yeah. Okay, let's stick on to the white folks you were listening to at the time as well. The pop artists. Well, there was the a lot UK. of pop music. Definitely, yeah, there yeah, was a lot of pop yeah. music. So, Donny Osmond, David Cassidy. Slade, were you into Slade? I guess, you know, what was it? possibly. Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. T-Rex? Po- yeah, David Bowie. Bowie, Bowie down, Bowie, Bowie Yeah, and were you into all those uh, Scotsmen, you know, the Shangalang lot? What, the Bay City Rollers? Yeah, yeah. B-A-Y, B-A-Y, <laughs> C-I-T-Y, Rollers. Yeah, all of that pop stuff. Yeah, I was, I was You're into def- that? I was definitely, yeah, right. into because it. Because the reason why I say that is mm. that by this time, your early teens, so we're talking about the 70s, mm-hmm. yeah? By mm-hmm. this time, your early teens, we of the second generation of black Britons have essentially become English, mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. Not even British, we were English. Yeah. Some of us were even Cockneys. Yeah, it's true. Not those of us who lived out in Leafy, Hitchin in Hertfordshire. Mm-hmm. Do you know anybody that did? I know a few. I thought you did, yeah. <laughs> so, for the record, Lordship Lane in Tottenham, where I grew up, mm. was very, very different from, from the Lordship, Lordship Lane, Lane that, where in I Hitchin. Grew up, where I, in Letchworth. In Letchworth, which is still in Hertfordshire, Hertfordshire. right next to Hitchin. That's correct. Yeah, very different. So, yes. Lordship Lane in Tottenham, where I grew up, better known as Broadwater Farm, mm. Uh, the front line, I suppose, some people would describe it as, okay. mm. uh, where you could see uh, a dead cat lying in the road on the pavement at mm. any given time being mm. thrown out. Mm. But I'm sorry to bring this up, but actually, it, well, it's yeah. true. When we went there, when I was showing our children, you know, the roots of where their father uh, grew up, you mm. know, there was a dead cat lying on the road. And they're like, oh, my word, is that mm. a dead cat? And I'm like, oh, my word. The neighbourhood's got even rougher since I was there. <laughs> Whereas when I used to drive them past Lordship Lane in Letchworth, uh, semi-detached uh, Lordship Lane in Letchworth with garages and uh, pruned lawns and everything like that, it was the idyll that I could only dream of at the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's beside the point okay. when we're talking about Bob Marley, but yeah, I just thought yeah, I'd go yeah. there for a moment. Yeah, and it won't be the last time. It won't be the last time that I go there. <laughs> that's okay. You but when you're there. growing up as the 
English second generation. This is a problem for a lot of our parents. They didn't realize that they were bringing up English boys and girls. Mm. They thought they were bringing up Jamaican, Nigerian, Ghanaian, Trinidadian, Bajan, etc. They didn't realize they were bringing up English boys and girls. This is why there was so much friction, I reckon, between us. I think so. I think that they, they just didn't realize how the impact that, that the British English culture would have on us because we were out of the house more than we were in the house, weren't we, really? I mean, we spent the majority of our time out of the house at school, emerged in this culture, and we'd come home, you know, at 4 o'clock or 4.30, 5 o'clock, and it was, it was two worlds, wasn't it? Yeah, it was two worlds, yeah. and the world outside, they, they never, ever licked you with the rod of correction. No. Apart from at school sometimes. Some schools had corporal punishment. Of Do you remember the ruler and the chalk? Did you not and get the, the ruler and the, the chalk? chalk and, the, and the chalk rub. No, the 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 black, the, what's it called? The blackboard rubber. Yeah, yeah, heavy, 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 heavy like heavy, a brick. With a, with a brick with and all that. And they just sent that hurtling that towards your head. Absolutely. Yeah, and nobody could call up Childline. There was no Childline <laughs> at the time to call up to say. No, you had to I've take the, it. You had to take and it. And then you had to take it again when you got home. Yeah, if they'd called up. Although your white friends never did, because when they got home, they just said, yeah, mum, I got a slipper at school, big deal. Your mum said, don't be so cheeky. Don't be so cheeky. <laughs> Go on, have some more dinner. Yep, whereas absolutely. Whereas we got, it's a whole different world. What? Yeah, telling you. You get like, lick at school? Go and bring me me stick. Bring me me <laughs> stick. You're going to get some more licks right now. Yep. This it, is a problem. That was the difference. So we had a situation where our parents were bringing up... What they thought. ...were black youth. Yeah. But they were actually bringing up white youth. Well, yeah, bringing up a whole different hybrid of culture. It was, yeah. it was, it was a kind of almost like a schizophrenic, um, culturally schizophrenic in a funny, in, you know, not to say, you know, in a funny way. It was, it was two worlds colliding, and we were trying to straddle the two cultures and trying to work out how we fit with those two cultures. It was, it was, it wasn't easy. I'm not trying to be funny. It does explain. I mean, you're using schizophrenic metaphorically, metaphorically whereas I'm saying that yeah. it is. Actually, literally, you know, we sent some of our parents to, you know, if not into institutions, into <laughs> psychological breakdown. Yeah, some they, they couldn't understand. They couldn't understand. They, they couldn't, couldn't understand, understand the way we spoke. No. And, uh, you know, those who dared to try to call their parents mm. by their first name... Mm. I mean, that must have licked their heads off. But I mean, well, for us as well, it was a short, it was a very sharp lesson a lot of the times when you would dare to allow that English culture to spill or slip into the house, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and sometimes you'd have to catch yourself really quickly, even in your your attitude, your stance, the way you might even think you could look at your parents and ball them out, you know, you... you you're like, oh, no, no, I can't look at you like that. They'd let you know you cannot look at me. Like, why are you looking at me like that? How dare you? How dare you? How, How dare, dare you? you stand up in front oh, of me? Oh, so you're looking at me. Yeah. Go and bring me two sticks because I'm going <laughs> to lick you with one till it breaks. And then use the other. Of course. You know, so one we for my right learn. hand and one for my left hand. We learned. For us, it was it was, it was was very um, difficult as well. So you for see? them, it was hard. It was challenging. And for us, it was challenging too. So much for don't worry about a thing. Mm. 
don't worry about it. I don't know if Bob Marley was singing that for our parents or for us. I feel like he was singing it for our parents more than for us, although we felt like we should worry, obviously. Mm. Let's get back to Small Axe, though, because mm. there we are. We're English, remember yeah, that? Yeah. And we're singing shang a lang a lang a lang a lang a lang a lang like the Bay City Rollers. What's their big hit again? Um, they did goodbye, one, baby. baby, baby, goodbye. Yeah, yeah, goodbye, baby, baby, goodbye, or bye-bye, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, bye-bye, baby, baby, yeah. bye-bye. And of course, and they called it puppy love. That was the Osmonds. Yeah, that's the Osmonds. And uh, David Cassidy did a cover of could it be forever or is my mind just a w- I sing it so beautifully because I remember it so well but tell me this mm-hmm. when we're listening to all those pop tunes with the you know somewhat saccharine uh, love lyrics mm. and suddenly this bloke from Jamaica didn't comb his hair Mm. Remember, he didn't comb his hair. The first time we'd ever seen black people without yeah. their hair combed. Yeah, yeah. I can't because even when we were going for the afros, we combed our hair yeah, that's a into look. a perfect afro. That was a different look. That of course, was, it was that, a different that was a, look. A groomed but look. Yeah. People can't understand. We never actually saw people uh, who didn't comb their hair. Few white people, but some white people didn't comb their hair. Mm. But it wasn't until punk that you realised, ripping out. You know. Mm. I've never seen somebody who doesn't comb their hair. But Rastas were there beforehand. And Bob Marley hadn't even locked up properly yet. No, he was he just hadn't. like grooming it. Yeah, he was just and starting. But, yeah. but you could tell, well, he's got all that hair and he doesn't comb it. Yeah, it was like and the rebel had, you know, we, it was for me, it was, it was fantastic because not only did I um, discover Bob Marley, but I also discovered Burning Spear ah, and the ah, Abyssinians uh-huh. all around the same time. Yeah. And, so you're um, getting militant. Militant. And started African. To, started to look at black history, African history, and start recognising all these things that you'd always felt within you when you were in these these schools, these English schools, where they, you know, the only thing they say, and historically, oh, you were a slave. But internally and spiritually, you always knew that you were bigger and and greater yeah i, I always knew. felt that i, I always felt knew. that no, i, I always every time I that thought... no I, it always in me i always felt very powerful mm. and i just felt no that it didn't seem right that the only reference i had to my ancestors were that they was either slaves or running around as they would say as savages which is complete rubbish and so once i once i through the music because that's how powerful music is, and that's how powerful Bob Marley was for me, and Burning Spear, and the Abyssinians, um, and culture, where it it forced me in a position to start examining a lot of things and buying books, working out who is Marcus Garvey, and then having the conversations with my grandfather. You know, who's Marcus Garvey, and. And he was like really shocked that I brought up the name of Marcus Garvey in the house. And like, wow, okay. And so it was a, a, a route for discovery for me. That's why I have so much love and respect for that whole Roots movement. Uh, fair enough. Bob Marley was the prism through which we all um, got, well, most of us got conscious and yeah. uh, learned to know ourselves, as Garvey would say. But in those days, I was just thinking... England is a bitch. There's right. no escaping it. Mm. That's what I put our dilemma down to. But with Bob Marley, because that message was a a spiritual message or straight mm. out and out religious message, mm. biblical message from mm. small acts, mm. you know, 
I lost all of that. I, that didn't resonate with me because remember, we're listening and me too, to and they called it puppy love. That's what we were listening to at this point <laughs> in your early teens. Yeah. Um, and not even quite in your early teens. So that was before your early teens, I think. I don't think you'd become a teenager by that point. But nevertheless, that's what we were listening to. Then somebody starts quoting the Bible. Mm, Remember, yeah. we never liked going to Sunday school. Mm. I mean, there were black people that liked it, but most of us had to be dragged to Sunday school by ear. You know, when they twisted your ear, they grabbed your ear and twisted Maybe it. Maybe you. I wasn't, my ear was never twisted to go I to I can bed. show you the tears in my I'm ear sure, when my ear joins I'm sure up you were a real challenge head. to it raise. It wasn't that I was, it was all the other boys. Maybe it was a male-female thing. Maybe it was a male Because I know, and loads of boys I know, if you look at the back of their ear yeah, where their ear joins possible. the side of their head, you can yeah. see the tear where they had to be dragged along to Sunday school. Yeah. But they couldn't keep us there. They could drag us. You know, yeah. mine was a Saturday school. Right. Because Seventh we're Adventists. But the course. problem with that was... They used to have Saturday morning pictures. pictures. You missed a lot of things on Saturday morning, yeah. Uh, No, me and my brother didn't, actually. Okay, well, you found a way. (laughs) Yeah, we we missed the Lord on Saturday morning, but we didn't miss Saturday morning pictures, I can tell you that. So the last thing you wanted to hear was somebody Mm. quoting the Bible to you, reminding you that you were supposed to be at Sunday school or Saturday school Mm. or whatever. It had a completely opposite effect on me, even though I spent my whole life in church being um, a minister's daughter and deacon's minister you know granddaughter yeah, minister's yeah, granddaughter yeah, deacon's granddaughter see. i spent m- m- all my formative years in church yeah. and so when i heard those 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 scriptures and 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 those philosophies and um it, it resonated with me it in resonated, a very, very positive way but not, not, it not shouldn't have it shouldn't have remember we're english at this point and you know English and arguably white as well Mm. and we don't know who Marcus Garvey is as you said we don't know back to Africa it doesn't mean anything to us not at Mm. that point in our early teens but didn't you ever feel even though you were totally emerged into British culture or English culture that you never you you never ever really felt as though you fitted in or did you really at that point as that was the only thing you knew going through the, the educational education system that you always I felt very longer, comfortable you see you were born here i wasn't right. born in britain i was no. born in africa and yeah. when i arrived mm. there was a sort of sense of I would rather be in Africa. Right. I, I, those are the happiest times of my life. What am I doing in this country? But over time, mm. and time was probably within a couple of months, actually, right. you forgot about Africa, and you forgot about the people there, right. and you started becoming English, going mm. around and speaking like people over there. And that's what people do when they come to um, a, a yeah, foreign country. Yeah, because you don't want to be and the other. Also, because to, to merge. every black person... Mm. English people regarded every black person as a Jamaican. You know, there was no <laughs> distinction whether you were from Barbados or Trinidad. We're all Jamaican. Right. And even if we were from Africa, we were it's Jamaicans. <laughs> That's how they described it. So I knew nothing about Jamaica, but right. I went to school with people who were of Jamaican heritage. Mm. And because I didn't like to comb my hair, right. you know, I'd go to school without my hair completely combed like some people. I just didn't like it. Mm. And I remember one person said, yeah, you're, you're, you're like a Rasta man. And they said it as a term of shame Shame and disgust. Yeah, yeah. So when I saw Bob Marley and the words Rasta were attached to Bob Marley, I actually thought, this is negative. This is what they're accusing me of being right. until I heard the music. Mm. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. I didn't hear the lyrics. 
One good thing about Bob Marley's music is yeah, when it, it licks you, you, you feel no pain. Yeah, right. Yeah, especially if you don't listen to the lyrics. If you right. listen to the lyrics, you might feel some but pain. But you know, the wonderful thing about Bob Marley and reggae music is that it hits you on many levels. As you say, it can the music can hit you first on a spiritual level and um, an emotional level. And then later on, as you start listening to the lyrics, you then realise that how powerful the lyrics are and how informative they are as well. So that that's one of the great things about reggae music is that even though it, it travels the globe, people can't understand the language, but they feel the energy and they feel the inspiration and, and, and spirituality through the music, even before they've been able to dissect you know decipher what what's been said which here, is wonderful here's the problem though with bob mm. marley mm. for most people by the time he died they'd mm. only known him for a year two years three years five years right. at the most 10 years if you were one of the original uh lovers of the whalers you'd right. known him for maybe a decade mm -hmm. and whereas he managed to change the world and he still does his music still does today mm. imagine that in 1980 Right. He was invited to the Independence Day of the newly formed Zimbabwe after the long struggle against Ian Smith's apartheid regime mm -hmm. uh, in Rhodesia, yeah. um, declaring UDI away from Britain, etc., illegal regime of Ian Smith in Rhodesia. And people there loved his music. All through Africa, it brought about, long before the Arab Spring... Bob Marley had brought an African spring mm, through his music, music because absolutely. he was saying Africa yeah. is the place. Let's yeah. go back to Africa. Get up, stand up. And at a time yeah. when even Africans were thinking, gosh, you know, there's not much going on in this continent. He would mm. say, no, 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 it's the richest continent. It's the birthplace yeah. of mankind, etc." But so whereas he did so much for the world, right? what did he do for us? How did it tangibly transform our experience our condition here in Britain given that he lived here for a couple of years mm, in mm. the late 70s when he was in exile after being shot in the shoulder in Jamaica in an assassination attempt I remember seeing him driving his BMW mm. well what else would he drive Bob Marley and the Whalers <laughs> after yeah. all um, in uh, I think it was around Hampstead Heath I seem okay. to have that image of right. him um, driving it there and you think well your one contribution to mm. the black British experience was a tune called Punky Reggae Party, where he brought the punks and the dreads right. together. Mm. That was his one direct thing. I know he did more than that, because Absolutely obviously all that, these yeah. tunes we reflect on, don't we? And yeah, we, I mean, different, we interpret our own Absolutely, and different of, sections of society um, gravitate to different songs. Right, so Bob Marley means different things to different people through different songs. So I, I guess that the, the, the rocker against racism and the punk and the reggae, um, that particular song would, would of course, um, have a, a, a great significance to them. And for others, it's different songs, love songs, or they can be, you know, get up, stand up. For others, it could be Buffalo Soldier. For others, it could be Jalib. You know, it just depends on, on, you know, everyone has a Bob Marley song that, that means something very deeply to them. Yeah. Um, for me, it was Rastaman Vibration okay. that seemed to speak to my condition mm. in Britain. 
Right. Stay positive. Mm. Mm. If you get up and you quarrel every day, you're saying prayers to the devil, I say. Mm. Mm. You know, why not just get deep. along? <laughs> it's deep. He's a philosopher, right? Of so, course, you know. of course. And also the music on it is incredible. The mm. bass line, the drum sound, the drum has been mic'd up in such a way and there's a spirituality a gospel spirituality about yeah. it. I, th I think well, everybody, all the components of mm. the whalers, they all brought something very unique and magical to create the whole sort of environment for Bob in order for him to transcend the way he did as a musician. Because I know as a singer that without the right musicians around me to actually interpret the feeling um, musically, it's very hard for you then to sort of catapult if you don't have that backdrop and, and that, that, that sort of um, foundation which the whalers provided for Bob so wonderfully and, and I think all of the, the whole component, sometimes people get so caught up with, with Bob by himself but really the whalers all of them together, you know, it, it just it just created such a a platform for Bob to 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 shine. Yeah, but you know, let's not forget he wrote the songs, most of the songs, the songs that Peter Tosh and Bunny Whaler wrote. Bunny Whaler wrote one or two good, and I love. Peter yeah, I'm not, Tosh. I'm not Peter taking Tosh no, you, you misunderstand. Yeah, you, you know, I'm not okay. taking away from Bob because, you know, he was unique and 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 he was a genius in in what he did. And he was gifted and blessed. And what I'm saying is that sometimes for that gift to shine, you do need the right foundation. Of course you do. Yeah. Of course you do. Yeah. In the right circumstances, right place, the right time, etc., etc., etc. But here's the rub. Whereas I would go for positive vibrations. Or Rastaman. Right. Positive vibrations, they actually yeah, called. Yeah. yeah, the album is Rastaman vibrations. Yeah. Whereas I'd go for positive vibrations mm. or possibly One Drop, which is deep, yeah, deep, 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 deep. One Drop is one of my favourites. Yeah, it is, it is yeah, deep as well say. when you get yeah. into it. That does make me get up and stand and yeah. shake my natty dreadlocks. <laughs> uh, but, and we needed the militancy at a time when we were going through harsh tribulations in the UK. Yes. People argue that we still are, yeah. but not like them times. When we literally had to stand up and fight against yeah, the, coup, the, the coup, and, yeah. the coup, the Ku Klux Klan, or yeah. at least the National Front, Absolutely. or we had to turn around and run, yeah. you know, from the uh, people who would otherwise kill us because of our colour of our skins. So the militancy, and not to talk of the institutional racism as well, the militancy helped us stand strong. But in that militancy, we forget that Bob Marley was a singer of love songs. And some of his greatest songs are love songs. That's true. And not until the album Kaya came out did anybody really think about that. Mm. It was kind of weird to see it, but the Trenchtown Rebel could, on the one hand, be militant and say, I'm ready for war, you know, mm. and on the second hand, sing us the sweetest love songs. Given that, mm. I'm interested in hearing what of which one of Bob Marley's songs? What love songs? No, oh. this is I'm, I don't know. It can be love songs or not love songs. Right. I'm really fascinated to hear what you, as a lovers rock singer, as a yeah. queen of lovers, <laughs> would go for in terms of the Bob Marley tune that made the most impact, impact. on not just you mm. but us here in Britain. And would you sing it for us? Is it, are you going to go love or are you going to go militant? <laughs> 
I know it's as as a as a singer of love songs. It sounds like you're trying to explain away your choice, but go on. I'm no, listening. No, no, because because I'm because I'm conflicted because. I had there are the, the roots tunes that I love and there's also the love songs too. So I'm not gonna actually pitch one against the other. I'm just gonna say if I have to choose a love song, no, this is the song no. I would choose. Just choose one song to sing us out. Are you gonna go for love or militancy? <laughs> well, I think I'd go for one love, one heart. Let's get together and Feel all right. Talking about the one love, one love. One heart. Let's get together and feel all right. But what were you really going to go for? That song, because it's the love song and it's, it's a spiritual song. It's inspirational. I think one love actually encapsulates everything. Um... Because there's just one love. Okay, would you sing it for us? One love, one heart. Let's get together and feel all right. Hear the children crying. One love, one heart. Give thanks and praise to the Lord and we will be all right. Let them all pass all their dirty remarks. Because there is one question I would really love to ask. Is there a place for the hopeless sinners who has hurt all mankind just to save his own soul? Believe me, uh, one love, uh, one heart. Let's get together and feel all right hear the children crying one love one heart give thanks and praise to the lord and we will feel all right so let's get together to fight this holy armageddon so when the man come there will be no more doom have pity on those who chances grow thinner Cause there's no hiding place From the father of creation Singing um, one love, one heart Let's get together and feel all right Yes, I am pleading one love, one heart Give thanks and praise to the Lord, and we will feel all right. Give thanks and praise to the Lord, and I will feel all right.